Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams, and today we find ourselves in week four of our Lent series where we're reading through the books of First and Second Chronicles and preparing to get to Holy Week. Pretty soon, you guys. Keep going. Today, we have with us our friend Melissa Zaldivar. Melissa is a writer. She has a couple of books. The most recent one is called What Cannot Be Lost. It's a book about grief that I really loved. It intersects with literature in a really beautiful way. She's also the host of Cheer Her On, which is a podcast that equips listeners to rejoice over one another, which is a beautiful mission. Melissa is a professional student. (laughs) In my mind, that's how I categorize her and just someone who really loves to dig into scripture. And you're going to get to hear us talk a little bit about that. And we're just learning you all. We're learning as we go about God through these records of First and Second Chronicles. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Let's get to it. Melissa, I am so happy that you are here with us today because I happen to know that like us, you are a woman who believes in the transformative power of knowing God through His Word. And you, I think like us, love finding that deep dives and rabbit trails are a fun and effective way to do that. And I know that you um, love a deep dive and a rabbit trail from time to time. Is that true? Would that be an accurate way to describe you? I think so. I think it's definitely accurate. Just the other day, I walked away from dinner with friends and I had like three random historical things to look up because we were talking. (laughs) I forget what it was even about at this point, but they were like, how did that start? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to find out and I'm I'm going <laughs> to let you know. So I just love digging into things and especially with God's word, because then it actually applies to our lives all the time. And right. so you just, you can't get to the bottom of it, which I love. And you just kind of go like, if I dive deep on this, is everything going to be okay? And you know that it will be, in fact, better than okay. It's a safe place to dive deep mm-hmm. and ask questions. Maybe not comfortable, yeah. but okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, can I just go back to the takeaway research from dinner and applaud you for not researching while at dinner? That takes a lot of restraint. <laughs> that is a real It did. Thing. It did take that. Because sometimes you're like, I think I can do it in three clicks. I think I can tell you. Nope. And then you never can. And then there's a text message or whatever it is. And uh-huh. You're gone. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that was mm-hmm. nice. That was one of my best whistles of my life. <laughs> that was <laughs> I just a good know one. I don't actually know how to whistle. And so that is, I'm glad we have that recorded. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, it's on the air. <laughs> yes. Oh, Lord, thank you that we got that recorded. That was my best whistle. All right. So, Melissa, was it last year, was it 2022 that you were reading through First and Second Chronicles for fun and kind of Instagramming your way through now and then? Was that last year? That was, it continued through last year. It was a series I started back in 2020, height of the pandemic. We start to get a little loopy and I decided to do a series called Genealogies. That's good. And started (laughs) digging into these often untouched passages of scripture. And there's some good stuff in here, y'all. There is some good stuff. Okay. So I remember that partially correctly, but here's what I know to be consistently true of you, and this is, you know, Rachel has already alluded to it, is that you derive so much joy from Scripture and from digging in, and you, one of the reasons we invited you to join us for our Lent series and talk about Chronicles is that I already knew that you love these books of the Bible. 
Would that be accurate? Oh, yes. I think that the history of humankind in general is so fascinating because we're able to look back and be like, how did those people exist? Usually when we think of the past, let's think about even the more recent past. We have photographs of, say, our grandparents or maybe even great grandparents, but you don't see their lives moving. You don't know the stories they're telling, the conversations they're having. And so the more information we can learn about them, all of a sudden someone goes, oh, I just had this one photograph of my great grandfather, but I learned all these things about them. And now I feel more invested in my like family legacy. And I think in a similar way, when we learn about historical things, things that happen behind the scenes, it makes it so much richer. So in a similar way, when we get to dig into the history of God's people, we're able to go, oh, these are these sort of spiritual fathers and mothers, and they made decisions that were great. They made decisions that were not great, which we're going to talk about today, but it helps kind of put flesh and bones on what would otherwise just be some chapters and books that we tend to skip because they seem boring and they have very repetitive names, right? This is right in the middle of first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. And so it's like, oh, these are all the same thing in our minds, but there's actually a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And especially this week that you are reading with us, it's interesting because we've just started second Chronicles. And not only that, but you can kind of divide First and Second Chronicles into three parts because you've got the genealogies, part A. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. Israel, God's people united as part B, and then you have God's people divided. And this week that we're beginning today, it is the beginning of still in the early chapters of Second Chronicles, but halfway through the week... On Thursday, we switch to the third and final section of Chronicles, which is God's people divided, and the story kind of shifts pretty dramatically, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> this is a fun week that you have. It is it's a just fun not week. what we expected to happen next. It right. goes a direction you don't necessarily want it to go, obviously, right. but not yet. But not yet. So, okay, (laughs) looking at, here's what I want to ask you. As one of our favorite deep divers and knowers and lovers of Scripture, Melissa, the first verse that we read this week, I'll read it from 2 Chronicles 3. It says, Then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. And Mount Moriah is significant. There's some, like, it's not just like, I don't know, let's, let's go here. And so, We know that there is significance in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament on Mount Moriah, but what can you tell us, even just like from your reading about Mount Moriah, Melissa? Mm -hmm. So Mount Moriah is something that people may not have necessarily heard of. They're not like, oh yeah, I remember learning about that in school. But if I said, have you ever heard of the Temple Mount? You'd be like, oh yeah, 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 that really famous iconic Mm -hmm. with the gold dome and, you know, all of these things. We totally know what that's talking about. If you go back in history, though, this is not a random place. I don't know if any of our listeners or if you guys have ever been to the Temple Mount, but when you go there, it's a really lovely area. There's hills, there's valleys. You realize how close together so many things in the Bible are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this capital city. It's a very big deal to be in Jerusalem. It's sort of the Washington, D.C., right? It's, It's this capital. But if you go way, way, way back in history, this is also the location where we have the very famous story 
of Isaac almost getting sacrificed. Yes. And going up there. And that is something that happened. So it's not like a crazy coincidence that the provision of the Lord, the faithfulness of God, these stories from before there was even a single tribe of Israel, like, and now there are 12 at this point in the story. Before any of that, this was a place that was seen as this high point. You have to remember that in these cultures, geography matters, agrarian culture, which is agricultural community really matters, which we'll talk about a little later. And so they're kind of these people that are like of the soil and the earth. And they're very just like down to earth, quite literally people. And so places really matter. It's not just about if this place is well-known generally, but it's what does it represent? So we see it for the Mm -hmm. first time when Abraham and Isaac go up that mountain when Isaac is spared by God and when we see the Lord provide a ram and that's like, wow, this is the kindness of God. But now we're seeing it as this piece of real estate and it makes the most sense because it's iconic. It's at the top of the city. Remember so much in scripture, there's this idea of hills. So you Mm -hmm. think about, you know, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? And, Mm -hmm. And different passages of scripture talk about hills. So this is right at the top of these hills. It's this really beautiful place. And today in modern culture, it is one of the most sought after pieces of real estate because it belongs to a lot of faith communities. There are a number of religions outside of Christianity that consider it to be a sacred place to their faith. And so people are always fighting about it. People are always wanting to be there. It's not like we could do a GoFundMe and like buy some real estate on top of the Temple Mountain and be like, we're building an Airbnb. Like you can't do that because it's Hmm. such a a sacred place and it's such an iconic place. But I think one of the reasons for that is certainly the temple, which is built there, but it had a legacy way, way further back than that even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love that you went back to Abraham and Isaac because you're right. Like it's this like site of like provision of the Lord on a grand scale. And yeah. it, and by grand, I just mean like it's a time we read about in the Old Testament where a father is willing to sacrifice his own son. Yeah. But also it's the time that I don't know, I'm probably wrong about this, but I mean, obviously, we Abraham does sacrifice the ram, and like so, the blood is shed, and so like it is this sacrifice place to the Lord. Where then you fast forward to it being the Temple Mountain, that is the place where rams mm-hmm. and goats and many other animals are sacrificed, and so it's just sort of like this foreshadowing of a place of sacrifice. Yeah, I love that you took that kind of backwards and forwards. You get an A. Hey, good job. Gold star. <laughs> wow, wow. We like thanks. to give gold stars around <laughs> mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And in the context of the temple, as with Abraham and Isaac, nothing is sacrificed there that isn't first provided by God. Yeah, good word. You know? yes, and yes, then yes. and then of course Including, yeah, foreshadowing awesome. Jesus. Amanda Williams um, gold star. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's okay. My gold star came from whistling. <laughs> so I almost <laughs> so Melissa, I almost sent you a rendering that our team gave us a copy of from one of the resources that they used in their research of the temple, of what it may have looked like, like based on the description. And it is so incredibly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. elaborate. Like there's a lot of language of abundance Mm. in the temple. And then as we'll see too, as they start celebrating after the temple. Are we allowed to put that image in the show notes? If we can, I'd like to, because it's, emotional. Like you just look at it and you're like, it's so elaborate. And this is not news to us, right? Like we remember the story, like a reading Exodus and the tabernacle and it too was elaborate, but it's like with the temple, it gets a little bit closer, right? To 
displaying the full glory of God and that he is worthy to be worshipped. How much do you geek out on the description of the temple? Any answer is appropriate. (laughs) I think that when I was younger, I'll say this, when I was first digging into scripture for myself, I used to like kind of skip that because it felt like I was reading like directions or instructions. Like Uh I don't really care how many beams are involved. I don't really care how many stones are involved. And if you think about any ancient Near Eastern history, in the ancient Near East, you don't have the same tools. You know, you don't have all of these cables and wires and things, you know, you think about when someone builds something now, there's cranes, there's all this stuff. And so to have something on the scale of the temple in that day is miraculous. This is why we're in mm-hmm. awe over pyramids, right? Because the manpower that it takes to create something like that is very awe-inspiring. And so this is the thing that if Israel is going to go all in on something, it's going to be this. It's going to be the house of God because they're trying to capture, like you said, the splendor, the majesty, the bigness yes. of God. And so if you go to the Temple Mount now, the temple has been destroyed. So like, spoiler alert to people reading this, these passages don't get too attached to this temple because it's going to get destroyed. It's a bummer. But you can still go to the ruins and you can see stones that were like thrown from the top during the destroying of the temple that are so big that when you are next to them, it's like the size of like multiple garbage trucks, like these just massive, Mm -hmm. that's the thing I would compare it to. And like, you think to yourself, how would they even move any of these stones? And those are just the foundation. That's just the wall outside of the wall, the wall, the wall, the wall, all the way to the Holy of Holies. So to realize how big this is, I think is something that we do not quite comprehend. If you guys can ever go to Israel, it is a gift listener to be able to see that. But there are resources out there where you can look up so much and see photos and see videos. But you go there now. And I think what's amazing is there's bigness mixed with a spiritual holiness. And what I mean by that is holiness in terms of like, it is set apart, it is different, right? That's what holiness means. And so to go there and to see these people, you know, you talk about the Wailing Wall or the Western Mm -hmm. Wall in Jerusalem. This is the one wall of the temple that still exists and is still upright. And people are up against that wall and they are pressing their faces into that wall Mm -hmm. because they are so devout in their search for God whether or not they know the person of Jesus Christ, right? Because you have a high Jewish population that don't know Jesus yet, but they are pressing their bodies into this wall, just trying to get as close as possible to maybe where the Holy of Holies was in the hopes that maybe God will love them more. Mm. Like it's absolutely heartbreaking, but awe-inspiring to see how seriously they take this idea. You know, we live in a time where we think to ourselves like, oh yeah, Jesus is with me in my living room. But can you imagine at the time that they're building this temple, this is the dwelling place mm-hmm. of God. And this is where you go to be near him. And it is a very big deal to travel there, to be there. And I think to just look at the way that even in modern day, people are pressing their bodies into that wall makes me think, Oh, and I'm like, I don't know if I can pick up my Bible. Like, I just, I stayed up really late watching The Amazing Race last night. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like, wow. Like, we have such an amazing gift in the scriptures and in the presence of God. And yet, these people in these passages, they're making a big deal. And we're almost rolling our eyes at them at times, um, myself included. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of information. But man, it's definitely for good reason because to them, as it should be, frankly, this was a very big deal. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the bigness and the scale of it and the effort that it took and also the specificity mm-hmm. and the detail, like the, even down to the, like the design detail, like as he was describing the furnishings, I underlined the wick trimmers. Like there was also gold used for the wick trimmers. I'm like, it is detailed. And like you said, like this is mm-hmm. a huge deal. And we see as they prepare to dedicate the temple, I mean, listen to this. So it they finish Second Chronicles chapter five, verse one says, So all the work Solomon did for the Lord's temple was completed. Then Solomon brought the consecrated things of his father David, the silver, the gold, and the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of God's temple. So the work is done, right? And then they assemble to prepare to dedicate the temple. And listen, in verse 4, all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites picked up the ark. They brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and the holy utensils that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. King Solomon and the entire congregation of Israel, that's a lot of people, who had gathered around him were in front of the ark, sacrificing sheep, goats, and cattle that could not be counted or numbered because there were so many. And that's what I wrote in the margin, meaning this is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So the effort, the work of building the temple was a big deal. And then imagine what it felt like for that to be completed and now ready to dedicate to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a gigantic undertaking. Yes, and followed by a gigantic celebration. Yeah. <laughs> also, I need you to know that I read verse 8, and I was like, wait, did the cherubim's wings move? Like it says, I don't think they did. It says, and the cherubim <laughs> spread their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim formed a cover above the ark in its pole. And I'm going, wait a second. <laughs> Mechanical did they cherubim move wings. And form? But I think that's not what it means. But for a minute, I got real excited that maybe they did <laughs> the inanimate modules. You know what? If the Lord wanted them to, Absolutely. they could. They could. They, yes. A hundred percent, which is why I was like willing to believe that if that were true. Yep. And so here come all those instruments. You know, we read last week about David having the instruments made because, of course, he did Mm because he's David and preparing for the worship. And now we get to see the Levitical singers, you know, coming out and the instruments and the trumpeteers and the joining together with one voice, raising their voices, accompanied by all the instruments and praise to the Lord. For he is good, his faithful love endures forever, that refrain that we hear all over the Old Testament. And then it says, here's the moment, the temple, the Lord's temple, was filled with a cloud. And because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering, for the glory of the Lord filled God's temple. Hmm. That was it. That was the end game right there for Mm -hmm. the building of the temple, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to move us to the next chapter only because this is where it's like a slow motion moment around this. Yeah. I didn't know if you have anything else you want to say about chapter five. No, no, no. Keep going. Go. Okay. So one thing that I want to mention real quick, Hebrew is my favorite. I love it. Maybe more than English in terms of like how expressive it is. And so when Rachel says, you know, Hey, it almost feels like the cherubim are moving. That's, Mm -hmm. I think what the author wants us to think. Like he wants Mm -hmm. us to feel like we are so in the moment that it feels real. The cherubim are not there just to be like, yeah, it looks like an angel. And it's like something you put at Mm -hmm. the top of a Christmas tree. This thing is meant to be accurate. It is meant to be like, Whoa, that looks legit. Like, I don't know if you guys remember years and years and years ago when Pixar was starting to create things and it was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like the animation moves and it's sort of 3d. 
And then these different movies started releasing. There was one, it was a Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. And it looked more real than anything we had previously seen. And everyone was like, whoa. Or you think of like Avatar, where it's like, whoa, that Mm -hmm. looks like it's a real thing and real trees. And my mind is blown and Star Wars, all these different things use animation in that way. I feel like that's what they're attempting to do. Because when you read that passage about their wings in Hebrew, it's talking about the cherubim as their own entity. It's like, and the cherubim, like their wings did this and their position was that as if mm-hmm. they are a they like they are a being themselves even though and they don't say you know and the carving that looked like a cherubim did this it's like no the cherubim right. did this and so i think that's what's so magical about this is in hebrew we get to see what is happening when the writer will become very poetic or very unusually literal in certain ways where you're like wait what just happened and then you're like oh that's what just happened like this was so amazing that as they're moving Mm -hmm. this thing it's as if the cherubim are spreading their wings and are being put into their final position where they're supposed to be so when we go then to chapter six this is where to me it gets real fun linguistically because the first line of chapter six is talking about solomon and it says and then solomon said and i love that it is a sentence that is like, and then it's all about to go down. There is this tendency in, <laughs> so as a reminder, Hebrew is for the Old Testament largely, and then you have Greek in the New Testament. So in Hebrew here, if anyone's like, what does it say in the Greek? It doesn't. And it's like, and then Solomon said, and you kind of are left with this feeling of like, what's he going to say? It's like everything <laughs> slows down because up to this point, we've been cruising along. We've been moving along. They did this. They did that. They moved it around. But what you'll notice is when everything slows down. In fact, quick ding, ding, ding recall moment. Abraham and Isaac's story in Genesis. When that story is cruising along, it's like, and Abraham took a son and they went up the hill and they did these things. And it's like these movements, these sentences are covering like a lot of time And then Uh all of a sudden it's like, and then Abraham took his knife and he pulled it out. And you're like, what's happening? Like everything is very detailed and he raised it up and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like what's about to happen? And that's what the writers will do in Hebrew to try to say, hey, let's like super slow motion this. Let's go to like a thousand frames a second and then slow-mo it like those people on YouTube. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I had no idea this was about to happen. So it says right here. And then Solomon said, And it turns around and it says that he says, he says, the Lord said that he would dwell in total darkness, but I have built an exalted temple for you, a place for your dwelling forever. And when he speaks here, I think it's really important as it feels like time is stopping. The first thing that he says is the Lord said, like, he doesn't start it with like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 50th (laughs) annual hunger games or whatever. Like he doesn't start it with like some big announcement. He just starts. It says, he just says, right? Solomon's like, the Lord said, and you're like, oh, whoa, like we're just straight there. We're just going for it. Mm -hmm. So the Lord said these things. And then what I love is it says, then in uh, verse three, so this is 2 Chronicles 6, 3, then the king turned and blessed the entire congregation of Israel where they were standing. And so there are these two movements. The first being him saying, let's talk about God for a second and how amazing and big he is. And then he turns, which insinuates that, like, he wasn't even facing the people. Like, he was metaphorically facing God and saying, I'm going to acknowledge this first, 
And then he turns mm-hmm. around and he's like, all right, now you jokers. And then he continues his speech and he blesses them and we'll get into that. But I just love this moment that the writer decides to turn around and to slow down and to say, hold on, guys, this is going to be really cool. Check this out. And so we see that in this moment at the very beginning of the dedication, Solomon turns to God, he acknowledges his glory, then he acknowledges the millions of people behind him right. and is like, all right, now I'll talk to you guys. You know, like what an amazing image of the priority of what we should be talking about first when we dedicate a temple. Hmm. Right. We saw even David's intentions for the temple and then Solomon's intentions for the temple. It was stated at somewhere in last week's reading that like, this is for your glory, Lord. This is, you know, not mine, not ours. This is for your glory. And so these first two verses, to me, read like he is actually speaking to the Lord in front of the people. Mm-hmm. Like, I have built mm-hmm. an exalted temple for you, a place for your dwelling forever. And then he turns and addresses them mm-hmm. almost like a, here's what just happened and here's what this means. Yes. And yeah. can you imagine coming from a spiritual and literal dynasty like Solomon is. Solomon mm-hmm. is the son of David, right? So his father was king. Now he's king. Right. He's looking at this moment. And what I love is that he says, he spoke directly to my father, David. Like, first of all, mm-hmm. who else could say something as insane as that? Like, right. he spoke directly. But what I love is it says, he spoke directly to my father, David, and he has fulfilled the promise by his power. We're going to dig in for a second into Hebrew here. When he's okay. saying that, what he's literally saying is Yahweh, just mm-hmm. right out the gate. He just names God, right? Yahweh. He spoke with his mouth to David, right? Which is a beautiful imagery of like a literal speaking. And then it says, uh-huh. and with his hands, he fulfilled these promises. And so oh, right wow. out the gate, what you're seeing is this idea of God spoke it and he himself formed it. And right in the beginning, he's saying, no one else is getting credit for this. Like, it's not like, and then we worked with our hands and we broke our backs trying so hard (laughs) and we made a bunch of plans and blueprints and we had a bunch of meetings where we said, let's table that till next week. Like, they didn't do that. Like, what they actually did Mm -hmm. (laughs) was they followed God and God spoke it to David Mm -hmm. and God with his hands, like he himself so that no one else can get credit is the one that made this happen. Like, sheesh. Yes. Yeah. And it's I mean, for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, like this was done for him and by him. You know, it's that like, almost like Colossians 1 language, like everything is created through him and for him when speaking of Jesus. Friends, you know the story. On Easter Sunday, the disciples who came to anoint Jesus' body found that the tomb was empty. Jesus, who was crucified, died, and had been buried, was resurrected. He was alive. But what happened next? Did the story end there? No. Who encountered the risen Christ? Where is He now? And what does that mean for us as His followers? Friends, I want to invite you to join us for our newest study beginning April 10th. It's called A Living Hope, and it will take us on a 21-day journey into the resurrected life that we have in Jesus, what it means, why it matters, and the hope that we have for today and tomorrow because of Him. You can, starting March 7th, head to shop.com 
shereadstruth.com slash hope to see the Living Hope study book. You can get the printed book or the digital book. We have some other products to just go along with that. But I invite you to head to the shop, order your book, and mark your calendar for April 10th to join us in seeing what Scripture has to say about our resurrected life in Jesus. Now, remember, the easiest way to secure your book right now is to subscribe to our monthly subscription box. Sign up anytime in March, and you'll receive a living hope in your first box. And then each month after that, you'll receive your book straight to your doorstep so you never have to worry about what to read next. That's shopshereadstruth.com slash subbox. And then Solomon prays. So he addresses the Lord. He addresses the people. And then he stands before the altar that they've just completed, right? And in front of the congregation, it says he spread out his hands, and then he prays. This beautiful prayer that you can't help but think of the prayer his dad prayed, Mm -hmm. right, when commissioning Solomon. And it's what you would think the prayer would be and hope that it would be. It's like, I mean, it begins, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, who keeps His gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. There's that heart emphasis again. And I love that it says, you know, you fulfill your promise by your power. And then he says in 16, therefore, God of Israel, keep what you promised. Like, you fulfilled your promise, therefore, fulfill your promise. <laughs> like continuing to like call on God's character. But I mean, this prayer goes on for pages and it's just full. Yeah. Yeah. I actually read this yesterday preparing for this recording and I just started to notice and then just started to underline all of those like here in heaven, may you hear in heaven, may you mm-hmm, hear in heaven mm-hmm. lines. And kind of in that back half of the prayer, mm-hmm. he starts to like kind of present these like if this happens, you know, like if a man mm-hmm. sins against his neighbor and then he comes to you, may you hear and act. Or he'll say, you know, when the skies are shut and there's no rain, may you hear in heaven. Or if there's a famine in the land where there's pestilence and mm-hmm. mildew and locusts, may you hear in heaven. And he goes through this over and over again. When your people to go out and fight against their enemies, and mm-hmm. we ask for your help, may you hear. And then there's this— and it's I mean, always to, partnered with an action. Mm-hmm. May you hear and, and— do something. Right. And it's funny because there is a passage that I'm familiar with, very familiar with, in Second Chronicles 7 mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've heard lots of times, but I've never read it right after reading Second Chronicles 6. Context. Context. Dun, 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 dun. I'm glad we had that in recording, too. Listen. <laughs> but they like, so I'm going to, like, we, we can go back to the prayer, but, like, the beauty of this moment where we get the, in chapter 7, I'll just tell you guys, verse 12, it's called the Lord's response, and it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night. And said to him, so this is just like when it's just the two of them. after the temple's been dedicated. All the hoopla has hoopla. And we can go back to that. But this like base touch where it's just the two of them in private, and he says, I've heard your prayer. So that hear word is right in there. And have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. And then I love this. He says, God says, if I shut the sky so there's no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people— And my people who bear my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Mm -hmm. It's this, like, you know how we talk about, like, praying God's words back to Him? Yes. It's God 
responding with Solomon's words back to him in a sweet way. I see you want to, like, we can keep going. You want to read the rest? Yeah, my eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. So he's saying, like, I will. I will hear. I heard you asking for me to listen. I will hear you. And this temple that you've created by my power and my direction is actually proof that I will hear you. This is my mm-hmm. dwelling place. It just struck me as so personal that God would respond to Solomon with his own words mm-hmm. and like and address his concerns. Yeah. I mean, he's speaking he's continuing to speak with his own mouth to the king. Like it's this beautiful yep. back and forth that we see and You know, in scripture, as you guys know, as we all can see, when something is mentioned more than once, they want us to pay attention to it. So then in that verse right after what you just read, as for you, if you will walk before me as your Mm -hmm. father David walked, doing everything I've commanded you, if you will keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father David, you will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. Now, it's going back to David. It keeps going back to David. And we might be wondering, like, why are we so fixated on David? Now, mm-hmm. other than he's like a legend, and he's a very, very big deal, right before this prayer, he's also referenced when it says in verse 7, so Second Chronicles 6, 7, my father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. One of the things that I think is important this week and is probably my favorite thing this week when we read these passages is this section talking about David because it's the ultimate throwback to an earlier scene. So Chronicles has this way of bringing up the story that we've already kind of heard in previous books, but it's coming from a different angle. So we have multiple mentions of David. And when we go back specifically to first Chronicles 28, there's that section where David is giving a pep talk to his son and mm-hmm. he's telling him. So first Chronicles twenty eight twenty. it says then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed for the Lord God. Even my God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's just like giving him this really sweet pep talk. It reminds me of when Joshua gets a pep talk, yep. right? Be strong and courageous. It's like a big theme in the book of Joshua. Yep. And that phrasing, though, the way that we pull it apart is there are three things that David is saying to his son. Now, keep in mind that this is a father to a son. So it's not just a king to a future king, though technically it is. It's also a father to a son. And I love that what he says here is so full of directness. So there are three things that he says to Solomon. The first thing is be strong. And mm-hmm. to be strong is not a suggestion. All of these words are in this Hebrew tense, which is a command. It's the difference between like, hey, do you want to have lunch with me? And we're having lunch. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. It's like very authoritative. This is what's happening. Yeah. Okay. And so when he says to his son, be strong and of good courage. And then it's the third command is and do it. You're like, oh, oh, okay. Like he really wants me to do this. (laughs) This is not David. And the reason is because David has it set in his heart. And so Mm -hmm. when he says to his son, it is not a suggestion because down to David's core, that word for heart in Hebrew means your will, your oomph, so to speak. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's this idea of your desires, your hopes, your dreams, everything, that thing that's in you that, you know, you think about the way parents look at children and you guys have this will for them. Like, I hope that they succeed. And I, and, but it's not passive. It's not like you think to yourselves, like, 
well, like, I really hope that Hazel and Oliver, like, have a nice day, I guess, maybe, whatever. You're like, I hope, like, I hope deeply that they succeed mm-hmm. and that they find community and that, you know, whatever that is. So that hope, that desire, that heart is what that word means. And then it says that David's heart was set. And that word means to place, like you set something down, right? But it's to place with intentionality in the place that it's meant to go. So it's not passive. It kind of crossed his mind one day. Maybe he wants to follow God and build him a temple. It's like he has intentionally set or placed intentionally this desire Mm-hmm. with the core of his being and all of his heart, that word shows up again, like love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah. So it's right. not just like a lovey dovey word, like with all your feels, it's like, no, with the very core of who <laughs> you are. And so it is such a part of David's life that when right. he says to his son, do it, you realize like, oh, this is really in his heart. And so I love that now David is gone, right? The king has died. Solomon is now king. And yet, as we are dedicating this temple, we are hearkening back to that conversation and to that incredible humility of David to say, I want you to do this more than he wanted himself to do it. You you think about other kings in scripture, think about Herod. Herod finds out Jesus is going to be born and he's like, kill all the boys. I don't want anyone to take my throne. But David is like, you, you're going to do it. And I want you to do it well. And I'm going to give you, like you guys talked about last week, all the supplies to do it. And I'm going to equip you to do it. And so there's just this beauty of a father to a son saying, I'm going to take care of you. And this legacy will continue if I have anything to say about it. And so I think there's just a beauty there that this is not like Solomon just like continued what his dad had a dream of you know, like those people on like fixer upper that are like, my grandma always wanted a garage apartment and now we have one. Like, <laughs> it's not like that. It's different. Like, this a little is different the desire of our family. It's yeah. different. Yeah. It's a little um, different. So anyway, that was like my favorite thing during this week. It's I just love that. the beauty of a father to a son saying it is in my heart. And then seeing the son's heart align with that as well to say, yes, I want to honor God too, which I think would just make David so happy. Right, right. Well, and you know, his name continues to come up through like in the dedication ceremonies. We've got the, you know, the instruments that he created. Second Chronicles 7, 8 calls in the dedication ceremony that there was a very great assembly. That is putting it lightly. (laughs) Maybe that's a little heftier in Hebrew because, (laughs) I mean, from what I could tell, it says from the entrance to Hamath to the brook of Egypt, it's essentially like from all the way north to all the way south, like all the inhabited promised land full of the people. Like this was not just like an arena concert. Like this was huge. And it goes from there's this like assembly of like music and celebration and it goes on for seven days. And then in verse nine, it says, on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for the dedication of the altar. And that lasted seven days and the festival seven days, on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people home rejoicing and with happy hearts for the goodness the Lord Mm. had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. And so this is the fulfillment of a promise and in itself also a promise that the Lord is going to dwell with them. It is a, like, it's a, I literally in the margins. Big deal, I wrote, as if that was a revelation. <laughs> well, and then it goes to what Rachel was just saying. It goes to what Rachel was just saying with the, I have heard your prayer. And so I love like what you just gave us was this image of everyone had the party of a lifetime 
they go home and then the Lord says just to Solomon. So it's just the two of them now or the four mm-hmm. of them, I guess with the Trinity. Oh yeah. But like they're sitting there and it's like in the quiet of that moment after the last guest leaves the party, he says, I have heard your prayer. And That's I just, where oh, that passage is so good. I'm so glad Rachel brought that up. Yeah. The context of that passage is makes it all the more meaningful. Okay. You all, we arrive to kind of the center of this Lent series right here in the middle of this week. Melissa, you are just like right in the middle of the Lenten sandwich. And so if you have your study books, I just want to make sure you all see this and don't skip over it. There's a moment here where we can pause and look at this really pivotal moment that just happened in all the context leading up to it. And we can use this as a lens through which to look at the season of Lent and what it means and how we've been talking about that Chronicles is an invitation to remember and reorient our lives to who God is and to proper worship of Him and His proper place in our lives, that's also what Lent is. And to rejoice that, you know, we didn't read it out loud, but y'all are going to get to read from Hebrews about Jesus, there being no need for the tabernacle, the temple, because of Christ, and just how beautiful that is. And so just, I just want to encourage you to take a few moments and engage with that spread in the middle of your study books and using all of that that imagery in these stories that we're reading, this history of our faith to kind of bolster you in that. And then, smoothly, we just roll right over to the Queen of Sheba. Let's go. <laughs> Rachel. Just a casual. Just the Queen of Sheba. <laughs> so as we're moving into this third section of Lent, God's people divided. Like you read that section title and you're just like, wait, what? Oh no. But we were doing so great. We were doing so great. And so in this third section, we're going to start reading about that and we're going to start in on Rehoboam and then we'll read about Jeroboam. And so there's a little bit of a narrative here that our listeners are going to read this week. Give us a little bit of a flyover of that narrative, Melissa. I'd love to hear kind of give us the picture of what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, a record scratch has happened here, people. I don't know if y'all remember that really popular kind of campy song that we sang at church a lot in the 90s. He's going to reign forever. I don't know if you remember that. That's the vibes of the last few chapters. I don't, but thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Someone here did. If you did, shoot me a message on Instagram. But like, there's this idea of like tambourines, parties, celebrate Jesus, celebrate. Like, it's very exciting vibes. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it's this shift of like, wait, 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 what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. And so I think that one thing we need to remember is scripture is a continuing narrative. So we were just promised that as long as we keep our ducks in rows, everything's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden it shifts. So why would we divide except that we're about to not be faithful? The people of God are about to drop some balls. It's not going to go well. Mm -hmm. They're about to fall apart a little bit. And so what happens is... Mm-hmm. Jeroboam and Rehoboam show up. Believe it or not, not related. Those guys are not related. It sounds like they are, but they're not. Their names kind of rhyme and they mean similar things. But we have Jeroboam, we have Rehoboam. So the way that it works is Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, correct me if I'm wrong, is Solomon's son. Yes. So right? Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Yes. And Jeroboam is Solomon's mm-hmm. like right hand advisor guy. 
Okay, so you have like the best friend and the son. Both of them are qualified, amazing leaders, but for very different reasons. And they're different human beings. What happens here is that Rehoboam comes into power. So Solomon dies. And to keep in mind, Solomon died. There are 28 years in between the temple being completed and his death. So for 28 years, like we just passed over 28 years of history. So like worth noting. A lot happened. The Queen of Sheba rolls up with all of her stuff and goes, whoa, I thought I was cool, but you're way cooler. Your God must be awesome. That's the TLDR there. (laughs) But I hope you did read. I appreciate that summary. (laughs) Yeah. And so we see like basically Solomon is living this great life, his wisdom, his power, everything. And he does make some mistakes. Mm -hmm. So you can read about that other place in scripture. But then he dies and his son naturally comes into power. Now, Jeroboam, who is his right-hand man, if we'll remember, the advisor, is out of town. He is out of town because he was becoming very powerful and Solomon didn't want him to take over early. So he tried to kill him and so he skipped town. And so because there was sort of a bounty on his head, Jeroboam has been hiding in the shadows. But then once Solomon dies, Jeroboam comes back to town and he's like, hey, guys, what's up? I'm maybe your rightful leader. And Rehoboam is like, no, I'm the rightful leader because I'm his literal son. And so he goes to the advisors, Rehoboam does, and he's like, guys, what should we do here? Should we like make peace with Jeroboam? Should we collab? And the advisors are Mm -hmm. like, hey, we got some wisdom for you because we are older than you. In the words of The Sound of Music, I need someone older and wiser telling me what to do. But he doesn't like what they say. So Rehoboam, I wrote in my note, Rehoboam listens to his punk friends. He goes to the people who tell him what he wants to hear. And those people are like, don't be gentle. Don't be compassionate. Make everybody fear you. Right? And all of a sudden, the people are like, whoa, 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 you're abandoning us. I don't like this feeling. I feel like I've been betrayed. I feel like I had an alliance on Survivor and then I got blindsided in tribal council. And so all of a sudden, the people are in this space of feeling like forgotten by their king, by Rehoboam. And they say, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to Jeroboam. So the way it goes is 10 of the tribes Mm -hmm. go to Jeroboam and they're like, you're our leader. We trust you. We know you. You're kind. You're better. And then two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, go to Rehoboam. So now the kingdom has divided. We have gone between the two sides here, between Rehoboam, Jeroboam. And so we have the Northern kingdom, which is Jeroboam and the Southern kingdom, which is Rehoboam. Now Southern kingdom is smaller. It's only two tribes, but they have Jerusalem, which is a really big deal. And that's going to cause some chaos for them later. Right. And they get to say that they're Judah. Yeah. They get to say they're Judah. They get to have the the line of David. There are a lot of really wonderful things about being there. So That's kind of the idea of the divided kingdom. Does this grieve God? Yes, because now all of a sudden, not only are the people divided as a nation, which are meant to be one nation, Mm -hmm. but also these kings are constantly competing. And what comes out when we compete? Our pride, our arrogance, our greed, all of the worst parts of humanity start rising to the surface. And so as we read over and over and over again in these last few days of the week, People keep making bad, selfish decisions, and it just breaks God's heart to the point where God is like, I'm sorry, but this is not what we agreed to. This is not what David was looking for. This is not what Solomon was looking for. And in the end, it leads to some crazy stuff, including someone getting smited. Someone gets smited by God because he didn't listen. So we've taken quite a turn. Yeah, we have. And I think in 2 Chronicles 12... 
There's a verse that says, Rehoboam did what was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. That like all of this political gamesmanship, it really can be traced back to the heart. You know, we've talked about David being a man after God's own heart. We've talked about Solomon, you know, setting his heart to follow what his dad's heart was set on. Like there's so much there and the intentions of the heart, and then the outflow of that. And in a lot of these stories, the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. But we do get a little bit of a reprieve, a little bit on Friday, reading about King Asa. Love Asa. So we get a little bit of a reprieve, reading about King Asa, who... I appreciate when Scripture will say something like Second Chronicles fourteen two. Asa did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Because sometimes I can't tell what's happening if I'm honest with you. <laughs> like I had to reread some of these chapters a couple of times to be like, wait, who did what? So I just want to encourage you guys as you're reading. You might need, like we were talking about, needing a whiteboard in here in the podcast studio because it's like. Who's doing what? And the names are similar, and you're like, who's aligning with whom? So it is okay that it gets confusing. And people are rarely all good or all bad sometimes. Right. Often and not all times. Well, and to be frank, I was kind of mm-hmm. trying to determine here, like, whose side should I be on as I'm reading good guy this? Here. And it shifts. It changes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, wait, I'm on the Lord's side. Great. Mm-hmm. And he is on the side of his people, mm-hmm. right? Who are all of these people mm-hmm. and are at odds with one another. But there's some really beautiful passages that y'all are going to read during these chapters about Asa where he is crying out to the Lord and saying like, there's, you know, we talk about, last week we talked about where does David what is he trusting in? Where is he getting his strength? And so you see Asa in a few different places get that right and say, mm-hmm. like, Lord, mm-hmm. help us. You are our God. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. And the Lord acts accordingly. And then Asa doesn't. <laughs> I was like, Asa, a mixed bag. A mixed bag. <laughs> like, and that's all of these stories. Yes. Well, and I think that's the beauty of it. I actually wrote down in my notes at one point, when everyone is messing up and they're making idols, they're getting mean, they are very unkind, and then they repent and God forgives them. And I wrote in my notes, which feels unfair. It feels unfair in my heart to say, no, they were bad. They should be punished. There should be consequences. There's a part of me and how not generous of me to realize, Melissa, that's you every day. Like that is a moment. This morning I went to I went to an Aldi opening. There was an Aldi store, their grand opening. And I was with a friend and there were all these people and the first hundred people in line get a gift card, which is exciting. And I was so worried we were going to get there too late. And as we were driving very quickly out loud, I said with my friend in the car, I said, please, Jesus, help us to get to Aldi on time to get gift cards. And then I thought, wow, that was my first prayer of today was God help me get to Aldi on time. Like our hearts just go in dumb directions and silly directions all the time. And I think it's a good reminder when I want to be judgy toward the people of Israel or the kings of Israel who mess up and then I feel like they don't deserve to be forgiven. I mean, how much more so are we forgiven constantly by our own sinfulness and how much kinder Mm -hmm. is God and how good is Jesus to have been willing to say, yeah, I'm signing on for this, even though I know that you're going to go bonkers. Like I'm going to save your soul from hell 
and you're going to come at me with, please help me to get to Aldi on time. Are you kidding me? But like, no, that's just the way that it goes in our hearts. But he knows that and he loves us through it. And so I'm just going to warn y'all ahead of time Mm. right now, you guys are going to read a lot of ups and downs, but watch the consistent character of God because he always says fine to their pleas for forgiveness. And he never says, you know what? No, like I'm never going to forgive anyone ever again. And this is over or the Bible would just end. But instead he makes that ultimate sacrifice later in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I just can't get over how silly we can be and how terrible we can be. And yet Mm -hmm. how God just keeps saying, well, if you repent, I love you. Let's try again. Mm -hmm. I will hear. I'm listening. You wrote in your margin, Asa, a mixed bag. And I just thought that's what's written in the margin of my Mm -hmm. story. Amanda, mixed mixed bag. bag. Like, were it not for the blood of Christ, like, that is my story. Like, you could put that on Mm -hmm. my headstone, except for you don't have to because it says, like, Rachel, like, chosen and beloved. That's right. You know, redeemed. I mean, I think that's a really beautiful summary of where we are in this study and in this week of Lent. So we will keep reading this week and two more weeks. We will be in First and Second Chronicles and continuing to follow this true story of, of God's people, our family history, right? And then we will enter Holy Week, mm. and it will connect the dots, I hope, I pray, for my own heart and for all of us. That seeing the, like being in that position that you just described, Melissa, of, of being on the sidelines of this story and going like, come on, guys, or like, come on, God, why, why, whether it's a why for the bad thing or a why for the forgiveness and the good stuff, but just struggling to understand, mm-hmm. right, who we are, who God is. And then we come to, to Holy Week and we're going to enter in to another part of the story of our family mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. and of who Jesus is and what he did for us and on our behalf and how he sealed once and for all mm-hmm. our inclusion yeah. into the family, into being one of God's people, your people forever. Yeah, exactly. That's what the, title, the and, title page says. And that's Holy Week, that whole scripture of Holy Week. Every single day that mm-hmm. we'll be reading, it can be summed up in our Grace Day scripture for this week because yeah. we're reading First Chronicles, we're reading Second mm-hmm. Chronicles, we're reading about the mixed bag, quote, mm-hmm. you know, of humans. And then to read Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11, that says, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, Mm -hmm. not made with hands, that is not made of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And that's what we have to look forward to. We Mm -hmm. have a few more weeks ahead. You guys have a week of reading ahead. We didn't spoil it all for you. There is so much to read, and you're going to love it. Not that we would have spoiled it, but you know what I mean. We've, <laughs> we've given you some really good things to look forward to. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us this week. Oh, it is a thrill and an honor to get to be here with you, pals. Listen, you cared real hard about these chapters in First and Second Chronicles, and I'm really thankful that I think it's a good it's a good reminder to us that like we can dig as deep as we want to dig, mm-hmm. you guys. And mm-hmm. there is always something to learn. And that's one of my favorite things about you, Melissa, is that you are a student, period. Whether you are formally enrolled in something or not, you are a student. And I, I love that. I love that. 
Anyway. All right, friends listening, come back next week. We have Christiane Wille joining us. That might be her third visit with us, or at so. least second. Um, she is She's something fantastic. to look forward to for sure. But until next week, Melissa, what do we tell our friends? Y'all keep opening your Bibles. <laughs> <laughs>